All right, and away we go. Let's talk about sports, baby. Let's talk about it, you and me. Let's talk about all the crazy things going on in the PGA. <laughs> Let's like talk that. about sports. Hi, Chris Hart and Gary Dickman taking it away here on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, we are in the midst of an NBA Finals. We've got a lot of stuff to go over with that. Uh, they're starting to do press conferences, interesting ones at least, in the NFL. All that is coming up here with these sports animals. But we start today with, this is the first time I think we've started our radio show with the sport of golf. And the Live Tour kicked off today. And I had thought that they had a television contract. Now, I guess they have a streaming contract which is like a television contract. It's just not broadcast. It's streaming. So you can watch on your television because everybody has a smart TV. Or you can have it on your phone and cast it up on your TV, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it, it appeared on uh, YouTube. But um, I guess the big news, what everyone's been talking about, you heard Keegan and other, uh, Kanoa Leahy with Billy Hull today, this morning, Josh Pacheco was talking to, um, Mark, oh gosh, Mark Rolfing, Mark Rolfing uh, from the Golf Channel. We're going to talk with Bob Herrig. Uh, he works with, he used to be with ESPN, now works with SI, and, and he's our go to guy for golf on this radio show. He's and, there. Uh, we'll, what's that? He's there in London at the Live Tour. Great. Also, Jerry, um, uh, what's Jerry's name? Jerry, our Jerry, guy. Jerry Foltz. Jerry Fultz is over with the Live Tour, too. So he uh, he's uh, uh, jumped on with the guys at YouTube to cover that as well. He was uh, um, maybe doing a little bit of uh, PGA work, but he's been kind of a great friend of the show. Uh, you m- most recently probably saw Jerry on a lot of LPGA um, broadcasts. But I guess the big news is that um, that Jay Monahan, the president, the commissioner, of the LPGA, of course, came out and said, everybody, all you 17 members uh, who are playing, they did it, you know, waited till they teed off 30 minutes later and said, okay, everyone's suspended. <laughs> and guys like Sergio Garcia and, and Graham McDonald and and uh, Dustin Johnson, they went, joke's on you. We already quit. <laughs> Kevin Na is like, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't suspend me. If I'm not a part of the tour, can you? Didn't I kind of suspend myself a week ago? I resigned already. Boy, the uh, you know when you look at the comments that Jay Monahan makes, it, it's the kind of guy that you go, Ugh. I mean, he's, you know, the PGA Tour has been around for years and years and years. It's like the NFL. They've had a monopoly on the sport. But he comes out as... You couldn't make a statement and leave it at that. But this cat keeps going on and on and on, and he sounds like he's like, like you know, it's he's he wants to talk stink about his girlfriend to everybody who he can at school because she broke up with him, he didn't break up with her. Players who resigned, let's see, these players have made their choice for their own financial-based reasons. Of course they're financial-based reasons, right? But, oh, they're just going to go and take the money. Well, that's what people do in professional sports. How many times have you seen in the NFL a guy up for uh, contract negotiations 
Somebody like, I don't know why D'Angelo Hall, uh, you know, used to play in the league. I don't know why D'Angelo Hall comes to mind. But here's a guy that it's like he's, you know what, uh, you've, you've got all these uh, Pro Bowls and you've got a big contract. It's time for another contract. And you didn't sign with a contender. You signed with a bad team that gave you the most money. Anybody give D'Angelo Hall a hard time? No. They just figure, they just know that the guy signed for the money. Now, I'm fully aware before you text in at the Zephyr Insurance text line, 808-296-1420, before you text in, I'm fully aware that where the money is coming from makes a difference to a lot of people. But at the same time, of course, yes, having financial-based reasons in a career choice to me isn't a negative. It's why we all work for a living. It's what democracy it's what our democracy it's what our economic system is is founded on right that everybody go out and make the most money that you can so he goes on to say um in this memo but they can't demand the same pga tour membership benefits considerations opportunities and platform as you that expectation disrespects you our fans and our partners. I'm not sure fans are disrespected by the Live Tour. You have made a di- yeah, this is, I guess all the uh, other guys, uh, the rest of the PGA, you have made a different choice, which is to abide by the tournament regulations you agreed to when you accomplished the dream of earning a PGA Tour card and, more importantly, to compete as part of the preeminent organization in the world of professional golf. So he's saying, hey, you know what? We've given you everything. We have given you everything in life. And you turn around and you leave for financial-based reasons. You see, the PGA, in my mind, the PGA Tour doesn't make the player. It's the players that make the PGA Tour. True. Would the PGA Tour... Be as interesting today if Tiger Woods didn't come along in 1997. Let me answer that for you. No. Would the PGA be built up to where it was when Tiger took over if it wasn't for the immense popularity of Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas? No, it would not. It would be a tour of a bunch of, uh, of I don't know, a, you know, Lee Trevino and those guys are fine. But the top players are what, and you know what, I'll throw Lee Trevino in there. The top players and their popularity are what made the PGA Tour what it is today. Now, the PGA Tour is very popular because the sport of golf is really, really popular. It's exploding in this country since the pandemic hit including here in Hawaii. But if it was, even now, guys like Tiger Woods, they'll get a lot of people like you interested in watching a golf tournament, checking it out to see how where he is. And that still happens today. There are a lot of really good young golfers like Colin Morikawa and, um, oh gosh, I don't know. Hideki Matsuyama. Hideki Matsuyama, who's not, you know, super young, but... Can those guys carry the tour without Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson 
and Kevin Na and Louis Ustazen and Ian Fult. Of course they can. So when the PGA comes out and sounds so upset, Sergio Garcia left. You know what? Everyone in this country hates Sergio Garcia. Sports hates Sergio Garcia anyway. They're glad to see him go. Somebody like Taylor Gooch is in the top ten in the PGA. And, and, and do you think that people are going to miss Taylor Gooch? Do you know? Have you ever heard of Taylor Gooch, Gary? Not until you brought him up the last few days. Okay. But I'm going to miss Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson. Yeah. But you know what? You can catch him on eight events a year on YouTube. But it's They're not still the going same. to be there. It's not the same. Go ahead. It's like if the SEC leaves the NCAA. I mean, they still have a lot of talent there. And maybe that's not the best analogy. But, you know, a couple of things about the Jay Monahan, I think, is just really hurt that everybody left his Wait a minute. monopoly. What are you talking about? That you're not going to be the same or now, Joe, Jay Monahan? No. Finish your thought okay. on okay. it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same when you have some of the top golfers on a tour that is not the PGA Tour. Now, what, oh. one thing I found out. Okay. So, some of the Sergio Garcia is not one of the top golfers. No, I, I didn't mention his name, but I'm, I'm just mentioning a couple right now. It's Matt Jones is. You, Phil Mickelson is certainly he's popular, but he's not one of the top golfers it's in still, the PGA. It's, it's, it's a more interesting tournament when Phil is in it. Oh sure, because Phil is 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 Phil is a star player. But when you're watching the tournament, Phil isn't on the front page, the first page of the scorecard. Okay. Phil's, well, Phil's usually, you know, he got lucky uh, and won a major a little while ago. Um, Louis Ustazen, you know, meh. Ian Poulter, middle of the pack. These are all middle of the pack guys. I know that Charles Schwartzel won a Masters. I mean, some of these guys have won, um, you know, a, a major. But at the same time, I think that people would miss Bryson DeChambeau, and I think people would miss somebody like Dustin Johnson maybe a little bit. But you'd be surprised, out of sight, out of mind, that they uh, aren't really in the conversation again. But one thing I found out, and I didn't realize this, maybe everybody else did, but these guys will still be able to participate. The guys that have been uh, been suspended or resigned, they can still be in the all the majors because they're not run by the PGA. So, you know, we'll talk to um, Bob Harrick about what other tournaments they can get involved in, but they can still come back for every major. I just thought it was the U.S. Open until a couple of days ago. I know well, they're all eligible for that. Well, right now, right now, the, the PGA Championship is run by PGA America. The PG, PGA America and the PGA Tour split a while back. And um, the R, is it the RB, oh, not RBC, RA runs the Open, Augusta National runs the, yeah. the, runs the Masters. But don't you think that as we speak right now, the PGA is, is pressuring these tournaments to make a decision and keep the uh, live tournament guys out of those tournaments? You can bet your bottom dollar. How's that for a cliche you haven't heard in a while? You can bet your bottom dollar. The P- Jay Monahan is talking and pressuring, or trying to, if he has any leverage, pressuring these, uh, pressuring these tournaments to exclude the live golfers. Maybe they use their uh, influence with some of the sponsors or things like that. I don't know, but the PGA. Is I mean, this is what's going to get Monahan up in the morning every single day. Let me see how I can get back at these guys. That's that's so that's where you are right now. Yeah, a year from now, will they be able to play in the Masters? Who you know? Who knows? 
And we'll ask Bob Harrig about that as well. For for your other point, though, Chris, when you mentioned D'Angelo Hall as an example where anybody in sports would take more money when you can make it three, four, five times as much. But this is different than a guy going to a lousy football team. This is this is people going to where a terrorist group, basically. It's like if you join right, Al-Qaeda. I said that, I said that but, that's, but that's what I said. But when I what, said that on the when I said that on the air, I said, albeit the money is coming from a different place. That's a I big, big difference. That. That's a major difference. You, I can understand. Oh, the I know. It's a, I know it's a big difference. I know it's a big difference, and that's why more of these guys are losing more of their sponsors. Yeah. But yeah. you know, who are we? Who are we to say what you should and shouldn't do for the the financial security of your family? Because every one of these players said, you know what. Dustin Johnson, talk to this is the best thing for my family right now. Sorry. You're going to criticize him for that? Nope. I don't know. I mean, look at what look at what our government is doing with supplying, you know, um, in the past. I mean, the, the people we've supplied weapons to in different wars and help and things like that. Sometimes we help out the bad guys as a country. This is a for tough what? Oil. Oil. It's a tough situation, and I'm not, I don't think I should ever judge where anybody goes to school or plays or whatever, but I can understand a lot of people being upset with these golfers because of who they're going Who's to upset? business with. Well, just look around social media and look at what all the comments going their way. I mean, there's a lot of it. A lot of people are upset the, the, with these people. The fans are upset? There are fans. There are people that cover golf. Yeah, there's a lot of it. on. I mean, well, I haven't seen. I haven't seen. Maybe I'm following the wrong people, and I follow a lot of the the golfers on Instagram. I'm going to look that up because I'm not hearing it. I'm not seeing it on television. I'm not seeing it in any of the commentary that the fans are upset that uh, that Andy Ogletree is playing in the Live Tour. And it may, well, they're probably upset that Phil Mickelson is, especially with his comments, and then the go there. And he he was getting grilled by the media, I think, earlier today, or maybe it was last. Can you night. find me? You know what? Let's let's take a break. We're going to talk okay. with uh, Bob Harrig from SI on this coming up next. I want you to give me some examples because I'd really like to see it. All coming up with the animals here on ESPN Honolulu. The Live Tour is officially underway in London. A lot going on on the courts and away from the courts. We're going to get it broken down for us now as we are joined here with the animals on ESPN Honolulu. He's a golf writer for SI.com. He also is the author of the book, which I have right in front of me, Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. I totally recommend it. Bob Harrig on the show. Bob, thank you so much for joining us, joining us today. What was it like in the debut of the Live Tour today in London? Well, after we got past all of the, you know, sort of bells and whistles that are associated with it, um, you know, a lot of a lot of music. They they did an interesting thing where they um, they they took the players from. Um, from the staging area to their respective tees in, in London cabs. Um, uh, they, they, they're having shotgun starts, so everybody starts at, you know, at the same time. And so that was kind of neat, and you know, they had a flyover and um, introductions and everything. But, but once it got started, um, you know, it just kind of, to me, seemed like a golf tournament. You know, I had been to a bunch of these, and, you know, there was fairways that were roped. And, you know, there was a media center that looked like a media center and an area for the players to sign their scorecards when they were done. 
Um, and obviously, a, you know, a, a probably more familiar faces in the tournament than at one time we would have expected. Right. I want to get to that in just a second. Can you maybe give us an update on maybe who's atop the leaderboard after round one? Yeah, Charles Schwartzel is leading the tournament. Uh, shot 66. It's a par 70 course. Charles Schwartzel won the Masters in 2011. South African. Um, he uh, um, has not been playing great in recent years on the PGA Tour uh, in terms of victories, but has has shown some form. And, uh, you know, so he's he's sort of a, you know, a quasi-named guy, I suppose. Um, and uh, you know, Mickelson shot one under, you know, so he's only a few shots back. Um, I'm trying to think who else is up there. There's, you know, there, it, uh, Sergio Garcia is, is not far behind. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, like from that standpoint of it, it's kind of funny. You know, I probably paid attention less to what guys are doing on the course in terms of, you know, how are they hitting the ball or are they making birdies and bogeys or, 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 or what have you. But, uh, you know, at some point I wonder if we'll settle into that or if it just becomes, you know, we're always talking about, um, you know, the, the ancillary issues that are, are going along with this. Right, so a lot of curiosity out there. And you mentioned some of the big names out there. And, you know, this is so new to all of us for this particular tournament or the tour with the Live Tour. And three weeks ago, I know when we talked to you on the show, we were kind of talking about who might be involved. And now we're seeing the names that they are up to, I believe, 48. I'm surprised that a Dustin Johnson, a Bryson DeChambeau, some of the other names out there, who surprised you the most as far as being on this Live Tour? Well, I, I think Dustin Johnson's the biggest surprise because he had come out with a public statement in February um, when when a lot of chatter about this was going on that, that he was sticking by the PGA Tour. And as recently as a couple of weeks ago with the PGA Championship, when when this was all kind of you know being kicked around again, knowing how close it was, um, there appeared to be no indication that he was wavering. And it was only in the last week to 10 days where something changed. And my guess is, you know, the money offer went yeah. up. And, and these guys are being offered, listen, even for guys who've made a lot of money, this is a lot of money. And, uh, you know, I, I think some of them have just decided, you know, you know what, I, I don't want to grind on the PGA Tour anymore. I, I can enjoy playing golf and make a lot of money doing it. Now, is that the competitive type format that we want, you know, with no cuts and, you know, guys getting paid every week, no matter what, you know, I don't, I don't know, but, but I, I guess I can understand where they're coming from. You know, it's um, I, I try to try to explain to people that if, if you could in your field of choice, do the same thing and make three, four times more guaranteed, you know, wouldn't you at least look at it? You know, so a lot of guys have been looking at it. They've been kicking the tires at this on this thing for months, and a couple of them have now made the leap, and I think that makes it easier for others to make the same leap. 
Right. Hard to turn down that money. We're talking PGA golf, the live tour, and more with Bob Harrick from SI.com, also the author of the book Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry, here on ESPN Honolulu. You can check out Bob on Twitter, at Bob Harrick. Bob, so, you know, what? I, at first when I heard about all these golfers going on the live tour, I was under the assumption that they wouldn't be able to participate in the PGA Tour by their by their warnings and now making it official with the 17th suspension. But I also see that the, the, the majors are not actually run by the PGA. So all these golfers that are banned on the PGA Tour, they can still golf in all of the majors. Is that correct? It, it appears to be correct for now. Um that will definitely be the case at the U.S. Open next week. Um, you know, they'll be allowed to play there, the ones who are eligible. And, and I would like to think next week, or excuse me, next month at the British Open will be the same. I mean, to, to change your criteria now, um, you know, a week out, a month out, um, guys have already done things to qualify. Um, to change it now I think would be really bad form. Um, you know, just because we might, might not like what they're doing, uh, just because we might not like who they're being associated with, in this case, you know, the funding of, of Live Golf has come under a lot of scrutiny and, and a lot of negativity and controversy because it's, you know, it's basically backed by the, by the Saudi government. Um, and, uh, you know, that rubs a lot of people the wrong way for, for good reasons. You know, we, we so that that whole political discussion is is um, you know is is important and, and real. Uh, but you... Um, uh, you know, for for them, but they haven't done anything illegal, and and for the for the majors to not let them play if they're eligible, I think is would be a bad a bad sign. What is maybe some of the bigger tournaments? And I know the players that resigned are not going to be in the Ryder Cup like Dustin Johnson and some of the others. But what is the biggest tournament some of these guys might miss on the PGA Tour, at least for the next one or two coming up? Well, in terms of what's coming up, probably I would, well, the, the FedEx Cup playoff. You know, like guys who were in line uh, to qualify for the FedEx Cup playoff won't be, you know, won't be playing in that. You know, so they won't be able to play in the tour championship. Um, they won't, you know, the players' championship is probably the biggest tournament that they'll be kept from. You know, uh, so we won't, you know, and, and I'd have to go back and look it up, but I'm, you know, off the top of my head, you know, Dustin Johnson played at the players this year. So did Sergio Garcia. Um, so did Louis Oosthuizen. So did Schwartzel. Um, I'm pretty sure Martin Keimer played, Lee Westwood played, Ian Poulter played, you know, so Kevin Na. So there's seven or eight guys right there who won't be able to play in the tours, you know, their, their biggest tournament, their, you know, their, their signature event. Um, and, you know, these guys are going to be ranked still top 50, top 75 in the world. And the two and the players championship likes to have all of them, and now they're not going to, you know. So, it's um, it's it's a very it's obviously a, a very disruptive force here, the the live golf thing, and and it's it's going to have impact, that, you know, some of which we might not see yet. 
Bob Herrick from SI.com joining us on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. I know I'm kind of playing devil's advocate. We've seen other pro leagues form over the years in other sports. But just for an example, what happens, let's say, two, three years from now, the Live Tour ceases to exist for whatever reason. They just don't want to do it, and it's just not working out. Whatever happens, what happens to these 48 golfers and probably more by then when there is no more live tour, you think any of them might be welcome back by the PGA Tour? It's a great question, and that's where that's where the risk is with this. Um, you know, a guy like Mickelson by that point will be in his mid fifties, or, or you know, certainly, certainly, uh, you know, fifty four, fifty five, anyway, and he's a lifetime member of the tour. Will he be, you know, grandfathered back in or what have you? Um, some of these other guys, if they go a couple of years without playing, would be losing their status. So, well, how do they reclaim it? You know, do they have to, like, go back to the Q school or what have you or, you know, find another way back in or, you know, maybe see the top 50 in the world? Um, it's um, – that is where the danger lies, frankly – more so with the young younger guys, you know, the guys who are who have a lot of years left. I mean, uh, Sergio, Phil, those guys might be fine without ever playing on the PJ Tour again. But what about Bryson? He's 28, you know, and he's he's gonna they're gonna make him official tomorrow. And uh, you know, like you said, what if this thing goes away in two or three years? Um, to be honest with you, I don't think that's going to happen, by the way. Um, okay. But, you know, certainly you wonder. I mean, they're going to spend a lot of money without, without, with virtually no return for a couple of years. And, you know, the, the, the Sovereign Wealth Fund, the, the public investment fund, has a lot of money, and they, they, they probably don't need a return, which is why people think they can be patient. But let's just use your example. What if they do? What if they just say, decide not, we, we don't want to do this. We're going to fold it up. And we're three years down the line, and Bryson's 31. You know, he'll, um, I guess he'll have an, he would still have an exemption because of his um, U.S. Open win uh, from, from 2020. Uh, that makes you exempt on tour for five years. You know, so I guess he could go back, and that would be good. Um, but, you know, there's other guys that that don't have that that uh, that are doing this that that would then be kind of stuck. And um, on the other hand, maybe they'll have made so much money it won't matter. <laughs> that would be their hope, I guess. You know. Well, this will still develop over the overcoming weeks and months, and we'll see a lot more storylines play out. Bob, thank you so much for joining us live, uh, live from London with the Live Tour, talking about what's taking place and what might take place. Thanks again, Bob. Appreciate you having me. Have a great have a great day. Thank you. All right, you too. Bob Harrick from SI.com. You know what's interesting, one note about it, when I asked him about the leaderboard, I went to ESPN.com, and usually a tournament with that many quality golfers, that would be on their scorecard on the one side of the app, and it's nowhere. I got all the, you know, the RBC, Canadian Open, other golf tournaments, nothing about the Live Tour on their scoreboard. Just an interesting note. Anyway, we'll have more coverage on this on ESPN Honolulu with the Sports Animals. All right, and uh, thank you very much, uh, Bob Harrig, once again from SI.com. That's really interesting that they wouldn't cover that 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 ESPN 
doesn't cover the score, doesn't, um, maybe it's, see, that's, I wonder why. And we can talk about this coming up, but one of the things that the PGA, and this is why I think Ian Poulter brought this up, who's on the tour, he's, his whole life he's played on the uh, European tour, he's played on the Japan tour, he's played on the PGA tour. So this is going to court, right? So now all of a sudden he plays in another tour and you say you're being punished for it. I don't get it. Well, why is the PGA doing that? We'll have talk on that and what fans are saying about this too, all coming up with the sports animals. This is ESPN Honolulu. Happy Aloha Thursday. Hey, kind of a Friday feeling Thursday. If you've got the day off tomorrow, happy Kamehameha Day. Chris Hart, Gary Dickman, this is ESPN Honolulu, and it's National Earl Day. Earl Day today. That means we celebrate anyone with the name of Earl. That was the most interesting thing I could find. So if you know someone named Earl, wish him a happy Earl Day. Earl's not a name that uh, that comes up a lot anymore. It used like Earl right? Weaver, manager of the Oreos in the 70s. <laughs> it's the only Earl I can think of besides the TV show. My name is Earl. My name is Earl? You don't remember that show? It was only on for a few years. Oh, boy. What's the guy yeah, it wasn't called. It's called something else. It wasn't My Name is Earl, but I know what you're talking about. It wasn't very funny. It was okay. It wasn't something I'd watched a lot, but that's the only one I can think of. <laughs> Earl Monroe. Earl the All Pearl right. Monroe. All right. There you go. Um we were talking about you were ta- you were mentioning that um, you couldn't find the Live Tour leaderboard on the ESPN app, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. Why would they not cover it? They're they're you know they're writing articles about it. They've got video on it. They're covering it on television, radio, and online. But it's like they don't have a leaderboard. It's interesting. We just talked with Bob Herrig from uh, SI, and they've got a full leaderboard at SI.com slash golf and it's weird that I, I know that espn has a partnership with the pga tour just like cbs and nbc do right with the golf channels and cbs covers some things too but it's like wouldn't it be a service to your users to post the score I thought I would. Think in I other words, surprised. in other words, and we were talking off the air about this when ESPN didn't have the uh, hockey contract, when they didn't have the NHL uh, TV deal, they basically treated hockey like it didn't exist. And then now that they have hockey, I'm talking about ESPN Television. Oh boy, lots of Sports Center, lots of coverage, front page of the uh, website, and everything. Hockey's back. Hockey's an incredible sport. I, they do a good job of, of uh, or we, I should say we, because we're, you know, we're an affiliate. We do a good job of pretending sports don't exist. But I don't think if you want, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's a good thing if you want to be looked at as non-biased. Like, depending on where you get your news from, you're going to hear one side of the story from Fox and one side of the story from another side of the story from CNN. So... I would hate that a news outlet like ESPN.com would kind of go in that direction. John's calling in. Thank you for calling, John. 
Hey, I was trying to call in about that guy uh, from the PGA suspending all those players that are playing on that new circuit. But, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting that uh, every other sport, uh, football, baseball, uh, they're all trying to expand, like, worldwide. This guy's like the opposite. But I was kind of wondering, um, you know, I'm wondering if one or two years they're going to have a hard time with, with uh, major tournaments because they're not going to have enough guys to play. Uh this guy could uh, be known as the guy that uh, killed the PGA circuit. What do you think of that? You know, I don't know. I mean, we have to look at the golfers that are going. And besides Bryson DeChambeau, a lot of these guys are on their way out. Uh, when you're talking about Sergio Garcia, Dustin Johnson's getting up there in age, Phil Mickelson is 51 or 52. And then you got guys like, um, you know, maybe Charles Schwartzel. He's won a major, but he hasn't come close really since you've got a lot of guys who a lot of guys besides the shamble who don't really move the needle you know so i don't think it's going to hurt you know i heard somebody talking about oh it's it's fracturing the the, the sport because someone will win a major and you go yeah but bryson de wasn't playing well bryson de has how many how many majors does he have one or two i can't remember I thought it but was it's not like it's not like Tiger Woods or somebody. You, you, you see what I'm getting at? You have Taylor Gooch, who's number ten in the world, but no one knows who Taylor Gooch is. I mean, he's the best golfer out there right now. I think they'll be fine yeah, when you're talking about the competition. Eventually, guys are going to be going over there. I don't think that. I mean, if you're getting paid like way more money, uh, like how long are you going to? like hold on on uh, principle but i mean not everything is like you know well money's like the most important but uh i think this guy is really wrong and i think that uh they ought to find a way to work with these guys uh instead of being so uh bullheaded yes yes that's a great thought thank you for calling in and that's what we were talking about yesterday it's like you work with everybody else but then the the live tournament comes along you're like nope you are banned from the pga if you play with those guys and that's what Ian Poulter is saying again. He's played in the Japan Tour. He's played in South Africa. He has played in uh, he has played in Europe. He's played on all the tours out there. And the PGA has never had a problem with it. Yet now they suspend him because he plays with the Live Golf Tour. How's that going to hold up in court? Sports Center coming up at 4 o'clock on ESPN Honolulu. Hey, look who's on the line from Ohana Men's Clinic, Dr. Charles Arakaki. Dr. Arakaki, how's it going? Hey, I'm go- it's going well, Chris. How are you? Doing well. I We wanted to get you on because I didn't realize all June is here. And June, every year we do this, June is Men's Health Month, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I can't believe half the year has gone by. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's. That's true. But, you know, okay, so it's Men's Health Month. Why do we have Men's Health Month? What's, what's the whole idea? Sure. You know, we, we, we realize that men are not so great at uh, going to see their doctors. And so we created this Men's Health Month just to promote the idea of guys, you know, uh, just checking in regularly with their with their doctors, making sure that uh, nothing concerning is, is happening, you know, sometimes underlying things like high blood pressure or high blood sugar really don't have any uh, external symptoms until it's far along and complicated to treat. Yeah. The, now, this is not Movember, so it, don't try and grow a mustache <laughs> in June. 
We'll save that for later on in the year. We're talking with Dr. Charles Arakaki, Ohana Men's Clinic. And what does what does the amount of testosterone you have or maybe lose every year have to do with men's health? Well, sure. You know, um, in my practice, in my experience, um, you know, how low testosterone tends to manifest in our lives is, you know, men coming in to see me and going, you know, I married this beautiful woman. I think she's still the most wonderful woman in my life, but I just can't perform like how I used to. And, and, you know, the desire is gone. And so, you know, it leaves both the, the patient and their spouse now wondering, you know, what's going on here? And very simply, it's a medical condition, uh, uh, hypogonadism or low, uh, low testosterone that we can treat in a medical fashion and it becomes um, an improvement in our quality of life, in our relationships, uh, in our, with our families. So, you know, it's a, it's a medical condition with, which tends to become uh, a relationship uh, condition. Yeah, you know, symptoms of low testosterone, it would include a lack of energy, decreased sex drive, loss of strength, increased yeah. belly fat, loss of bone density, and depression. Now, I don't, the, the only one of those I have is the, is the increased belly flat, fat. So I think I'm, <laughs> I'm going I'm I'm to have to come see Dr. Arakaki. Hey, but there's different ways now over the years that you've developed. How do you treat, you can treat the symptoms of low T, but also you can do things for like erectile dysfunction, for example, that actually kind of cure it, right? Yes. Uh, so I don't know if cure the, is the um, right word to use, but I'm sorry, I don't know if sure. cure is the but whatever word, but you can you can treat the problem instead of just the symptom nowadays, right? Yes, it, precisely. Yeah, that's it. You know, we can treat the underlying cause of erectile function, which in the majority of cases is a result of lack of blood flow, what we call vasculogenic erectile dysfunction. Um, and so the shockwave therapy works uh, via um, uh, causing the, the body's own um, uh, mechanisms to grow new blood vessels in areas where we want them to. So. You know, we've used it uh, in hearts. We've used it previously. Originally, we used it for kidney stones, um, hmm. and now we're using it for erectile function with with um, with really good success. That is that is amazing to me. All right, folks, it's Men's Health Month, and uh, you want to pay attention to your health. Take care of these medical issues. Call Dr. Charles Arakaki, and uh, he's now um, he's got a brand new shiny office in the Aina Haina area. You can go to drcharlesarakaki.com or what phone number can they call you at? Uh, sure, it's 808-382-9738. 908-382-9738. Don't call right now because he's, he's on the phone, but he'll, he'll call in a couple of minutes. But, uh, hey, uh, Dr. Arakaki, anything else you want to add before we let you get back to work? You know, um, just, just letting guys know out there that, uh, you know, it's, uh, 
it's 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 time to you know look out for your own health because you know if your health goes down you know oftentimes we're the the main uh, 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 caregiver for the family and so if we're going down you know what happens mm. to your family and you know god god forbid you you're hospitalized or have to have to have a surgical procedure so take care of yourself for your ohana all right for men's health month all right dr charles arakaki folks dr charles arakaki.com check it out ohana men's clinic or uh, give him a call right now because we're going to hang up on him 808-382-9738 charles thank you very much we'll talk again soon Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you. All right, man. Bye, bye. What a Charles Arakaki. That's that's one of the good people. You know, when when you talk to some people here and there, you meet people or you tell someone about someone. That's one of the ones you go. That's a really good dude. Anyway, we'll be back on ESPN Honolulu. Pa 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 pa. Hey, ho. <laughs> I just did turn into an 80s nightclub DJ. Hey, hey, it's the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. Coming up, Phil Handy, who is now an assistant coach with the Los Angeles Lakers, a bona fide assistant coach. He's going to be joining us, of course, uh, for uh, uh, younger people. Phil Handy is a former University of Hawaii Rainbow Warrior basketball player, and uh, he's been a shooting coach in the past for guys like Oh, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, just the best players in the world. Phil Handy is scheduled to join us in 15 minutes here on ESPN Honolulu. The I was looking at the uh, NBA draft coming up, and this is what, when you watch, okay, Andrew Wiggins for the Golden State Warriors, was he a number one overall draft choice? By Cleveland, and he got traded for Kevin Love before he ever played for them. Give me a, a, some other number one draft. Where was Marcus Smart drafted? Like, he's a top ten guy, right? Uh, for some reason, I'm thinking six. I don't know, but I'll give you Steph Curry as an example because it's been mentioned again and drives me nuts. He was drafted, I believe, number seven by Golden State. It was 2012, I think it was, maybe even 11. He wanted right. to go to the New York Knicks, who were draft, drafting eighth next after Golden State. His father wanted him to go to the Knicks. The Knicks wanted him to go to the Knicks. They had no idea Golden State did not show much interest in Steph. And they were all surprised and a little bummed when Golden State drafted him. They're fine with it now, but the people on the <laughs> East Coast aren't. But he was that close to being a New York Nick. He wanted it pretty badly, from what I remember reading. And for some reason, it's been mentioned again a few weeks ago. That's great, but that's not the direction I'm going in. What I'm getting at, <laughs> what I'm are. getting at, by the way, okay, so in that draft, Anthony Davis was dra- You said 2012? I believe no, it was tw- not two thousand. No, maybe two thousand thirteen. No, it was before that. Wow. All right, but anyway, I wanted to look at who was drafted in front of him because there's some pretty, um, some pretty guys who are pretty bad players drafted before him. Okay, I have uh, it. it two thousand and nine. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. You want to hear who was drafted before him? Two thousand and nine. Wow, he's been playing for a. He's been playing for a really long time. So when yeah. you go down that draft board, you look at the number one player overall, Blake Griffin. Yeah, that didn't really work out. I mean, he was a star. Hashim Sabit. Mm. He was good James in Harden. Mm. <laughs> Tyreek Evans. Rookie of the year. Ricky Rubio. Johnny Flynn. 
and then Steph Curry. You know, you could say that the Oklahoma City Thunder in drafting James Harden was a pretty good move. Too bad they couldn't keep uh, they couldn't uh, keep him. That was a great draft, though. Look at that. You got Drew Holiday, Demar Derozan, Steph Curry, James Harden. I'll throw Blake Griffin in there as a talented guy. Um, they even but have an Earl. What I'm get, what's that? They even have an Earl. Which Earl? Earl, Earl Clark, number fourteen. All right, let's hear it for Happy Earl, National Earl Day. <laughs> What I'm getting at, though, is when you look at the uh, prospects in this draft, you look at somebody like Jabari Smith from Auburn, Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga, Paolo Banchero from Duke, Keegan Murray from Iowa, Jaden Ivey from Purdue, A.J. Griffin from Duke. Okay, so I'm naming these names. Are we seeing the next James Harden or Steph Curry? Or are we seeing the next Blake Griffin or Andrew Wiggins? Are we seeing the next Anthony Edwards, the Ant-Man? Or are we seeing, I don't know, one of the Lopez twins? What I'm getting at is there's some guys that are so hyped and they're drafted number one overall. Yet they're really just they're good players. A lot of them just role players. You never know. Just like the NFL draft, how many number one choices have worked out versus second or third rounders? You would but way more in the NFL. <clears throat> way more in the NFL work out than in the NBA. Of number one and number two overall. Yes. Okay. I haven't thought. I haven't so broken if it you're, down. So if you're drafted number one overall, you should be a Pro Bowl player. You should contribute right away and be the star and face of your team if you're the number one player overall picking in the NBA in the NFL draft. It's not the case in the NBA. Okay, I, I probably would agree not that often. Again, I mean, these guys had great college careers, and to me, I'd rather go with some of the upperclassmen. I think part of it is you get these guys where their ceiling is so high, but they're so young and raw that we don't know that they're going to be that great on the next level. But people are taking right. a chance. I mean, I know the NBA people know way more than me, but they very rarely will draft seniors that early. I'll give you an example. Um, trying to think, The Iowa guy last year who went to Detroit – and he was one of the best players in college, first-team All-American. Jay Cunningham. No, that oh, was the number, I'm he, sorry. He was the number one pick overall. Yeah, uh, Luke, yeah, yeah. Gar, Luca Garza. Remember him? He was Big Ten no. Player of the Year. He was Big Ten Player yeah. of the Year a, a year and a half ago. And he uh-huh. went drafted, I think, second round to Detroit. Hardly played. And everybody said, well, you know, he's, he's a senior. That's the reason he's not playing or drafted higher because he's a senior and he's already hit his ceiling. But the guy was that good in college. He was unstoppable for the most part in college. And I know they're bigger in the NBA, but I don't think you're taking that much of a chance just because the guy's 22 as opposed to 19. But NBA people will very rarely, you know it as well, hardly take right. seniors in the first round. They go after those some, wasn't, the freshmen who think they're going to be good. Wasn't Steph Curry a senior? I think he was a junior, if I'm not mistaken. I'll double-check, but I wow. think he was a junior. Okay, so let's look, and, and, and just to back up what you're saying, let's look at the number one picks overall in the NBA. Last year, Cade Cunningham 
I don't know how he's doing. Nobody ever shows the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, he was okay. He had a really slow start where he didn't hit a three-pointer for about a week or two at the start of his career. Got a little bit better. They were one of the worst teams in basketball. I think they have the second pick yeah. in the draft or whatever it is now, third or whatever. And uh, mm-hmm. he was okay, but, I, don't, I mean, he wasn't dominating like he did in college, that's for sure. But he was on a bad team. Okay. Before that, we mentioned Anthony Edwards, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves in 2020. That's Okay, that's legit. Yeah. That's what a number one draft to overall draft choice should be. Right. In 2019, it was Zion Williamson. Well, he's been injured, but you know he has the talent. And 2018, number one pick overall, DeAndre Ayton. He's good, but know. he's not getting because a max of his, deal. So he can't because be Because of great. his position? Yeah. In 2017, Markel Fultz. Is he even in the league? Yeah, he's with Orlando. He got a little bit of a resurrection, so to speak, after having the yips. And a resurrection? Where, I mean, he, he rejuvenated his career. We did his career because he was almost left hanging without anybody wanting him because he couldn't shoot. He had he a little resuscitated bit, his career? Resuscitated might be one way of describing it as well. He just couldn't yeah. get shots off. Resurrection isn't a really a, He didn't res- have a resurrection of his career. I thought he like a rebirth. Wouldn't that be under like a resurrection? No? That would be resurrection. That's what I meant. <laughs> I thought I said. It's a simple word that, I, that you learned <laughs> in high school. Uh, okay, number uh, Markel Fultz in t- 2017 uh, drafted number one overall. 2016, Ben Simmons. Don't even get me started. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute about Ben Simmons. What? Remember, he's been an all-star a few times. He's actually been a good player. I mean, he's going through all that you-know-what. But actually on the court, he was really good when he was on the court, except for the dunk. But- last year okay but isn't and this is this is my problem with draymond green isn't the point of basketball to be able to shoot the basketball well that's one of the skill sets but not the only one he was he was made an all-star but if you're the number shooting. one pick overall and you can't shoot please but he's number nobody... uh, 2015 carl anthony towns good pick great pick yeah. 2014 andrew wiggins he's good should be better 2013 What's an Anthony Bennett? I was waiting for him. He played at UNLV and was just awful, awful, exactly. awful for Cleveland. He went to the Nets about three years ago, couldn't stick there. He spent more time in the G League and overseas than the NBA. That was a weak draft class. Still, to take him number one was dumb at the time, I thought. Yeah. Uh, we got to take somebody, I guess. Number uh, 2012, Anthony Davis. 2011, Kyrie. 2010, John Wall. He was good for a long time. 2009, Blake Griffin. 2008, Derek Rose. You know, most of these picks, Gary, actually, after doing this exercise, have turned out to be pretty good. You know, like really, like, you know, Derek Rose, except, you know, after the, he was great until he got injured four or five years later. Right. But he was the best player in the league. Yeah. John Wall, one of the top players in the league during his prime. Kyrie Irving still is one of the top players in the league. Anthony Davis. I mean, these guys are playing for Supermax contracts. Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, look at what he does. You have some duds like Markel Fultz. You have some duds like, well, some of these other guys. Now, there's some guys like Zion Williamson and Greg Oden. That's no fault of anybody because it's just an injury problem. Right? Well, it could be a weight problem with Zion. They really think he came into mm. camp way overweight from last summer. But they're going to give him an they're going to give him an extension already. They're not saying that um, yet for sure. They have to think about. Oh no, it. they said today it's a no brainer. Of course, we're giving it to him. They said that. 
the, I don't know, the president or okay. the GM or somebody. Okay. But anyway, uh, Andrea Bargnani. Uh-oh. Was that a week? Andrew no, no, Bogut. He's still playing, Bargnani. He's playing for Atlanta. Has he ever been good? Yeah. Like a superstar. A, uh, not all a superstar. Star. No, no you got, um, Number one overall, you got to be an all-star. I'm not sure if he's been an all-star, but he, he's been good but not great. Okay, yeah. yeah. He hasn't been Andrew Bogut, the pride of Team Australia. I don't you think you know, you need one. guys like LeBron James and Yao Ming and less Elton Brands and Kwame Browns. Well, Elton Brand was good. He was co-rookie of the year, I believe. Yeah? Was he ever an all-star? Yeah, I think he was. Uh, I think you're wrong. <laughs> but not a great anyway, career. But he's a dude anyway, so I'm glad. Bring, I, I bring that because the NBA draft is coming up here. And uh, we were talking about Steph Curry. So Steph Curry... I missed the injury yesterday. It was late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah. And Steph Curry uh, was Marcus Smart or somebody rolled up on his foot. Al Horford did. Yeah, Al Horford, yeah, cheater. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but uh, he says he's going to play tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, that's good news. I mean, Steve Kerr said after the game that they took him out a little after that because they were down by 14 with a little over two minutes left and they weren't going to catch up. It wasn't because of his injury. So a lot of people, I think, thought he must be hurt bad for them to take him out of the game with 215 or whatever it was left. You know, and I, I mean, it, I'm glad Steve Kerr didn't say it was a dirty play like the Marcus Smart hit from January where he sent Curry out for like a month with that diving for the loose ball. This was just a right. regular play. Draymond Green is at fall. I mean, he well, had an incredibly bad game. But in that little scuffle, he picked up Marcus Smart and threw him. And that was dumb. And then you get your sixth foul. I don't know what he was trying to do at that point. Unfortunately for Steph, he did get that injury. But that's not that had nothing to do with the outcome of the game. Yeah. Draymond Green's kind of making an A of himself. Oh, yes. It's real, he's a little going a little over the top. Uh, all right. Phil Handy, L.A. Lakers assistant coach, former Rainbow Warrior, is scheduled to join us next on ESPN Honolulu. It's Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. Chris Hart, Gary Dickman with you, and joining us here, uh, former Rainbow Warrior and now L.A. Lakers assistant coach. So happy to have on the show, Phil Handy. Hi, Coach. Uh, how you doing? Phil, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. It must seem strange, not only for us, but for you, with the NBA Finals going on, and you're not a part of it. I believe you were at, what was it, six in a row over the years? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a good run, man. I can't, um, you know, a lot of people tease me and say, man, you can't, you can't win them all. You can't be a part of them. But this is actually the first time in, you know, in about ten years that I haven't been a part of the playoffs, period. So it was um, – it was a little bit of a different experience for me, but I've, I've definitely taken advantage of the time off. I guess you can look at it with some positive, but I'm sure you want to be back uh, coaching in June, and hopefully that will be the case next year. Do any of the finals stand out to you? I mean, I know they're all special in their own way. I mean, the Toronto victory, uh, winning with LeBron and everything, and the Lakers. What stands out to you the most when you look back on your finals coaching career? Uh, I think the first one, you know, the first experience in Cleveland, that was a pretty um, – I was pretty awesome, man. Just I think, you know, it was my first championship. There was all kinds of storylines with it. You know, we were down 3-1. Uh, it was an opportunity for me personally to win a championship in my hometown. And just so many different things. Winning a championship for the city of Cleveland with all the history there. Um, and that, that was that – was they're all special, but that one is kind of holds the best, the best 
moments for me. Right. We kept hearing and reading and seeing what it meant to the city. Uh, so I remember that pretty well. I'm just imagine what it was like for people from that area. You know, you've worked with, as Chris mentioned it earlier, you've worked as a shooting coach with Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, even Kawhi Leonard when he was on with Toronto. Can you give us a little insight on what it's like with working with some of the greatest top 75 players in NBA history? Man, it just, they're cerebral, very smart, very intelligent, very competitive. Um, and then, you know, look, they're already talented, but their work ethic is supreme. These guys are extreme, extreme hard workers in, in the sense of how they take care of their bodies and, and what they do on the floor. They don't just rely on their talent, man. They're, they're, very, um, they're very, very dominant in the world of basketball because they're, you know, they, they outwork everybody. And just it's, working with guys like that has just really taught me a lot as a coach, uh, you know, those guys are so, and they're so smart. They just teach you so many things. So it's not always a coach teaching a player. You know, sometimes you, you learn so many things from being next to athletes like that. It's, it's just hard not to pay attention and figure out ways to, uh, to be great yourself. So I've, man, I've been, been tremendously blessed to be able to work with and coach, you know, those guys that you just named. You can follow Phil Handy on Twitter at 94 Feet of Game as he joins us here on ESPN Honolulu talking NBA basketball. I saw an article, I think, in a New York paper about a month ago that uh, Phil Handy should be considered as a head coach for any NBA franchise. I know you've worked your way up. Is that something that you feel is in the near future for you? Yeah, you know, I think um, when that time comes for me, I'll be prepared. You know, you, you can never – you can never tell in this business, you know, when those opportunities will come for you. I think it's just all about being present, you know, making sure you're mastering the job that's in front of you. And, and I'll, I'll be ready, you know, if those opportunities present itself uh, for me to be a head coach in the near future, I'll definitely be prepared and be ready for that. With your role now with the Lakers as an assistant coach, and I know in the draft, which is two weeks from today, I don't believe the Lakers have a first-round pick, but I know a lot of players are making the rounds with NBA teams with three-on-three workouts and things like that. Have you had a chance to work with some of the incoming NBA players out of college? Uh, I haven't, but uh, we've, we've, had, we've had a number of pre-draft workouts, and I've sat in and watched some of the workouts. Some of our other coaches have, have ran the workouts, but I've – I've, you know, been a ch- had a chance to sit down and watch. There's a lot of talent out there. Um, I think this draft is going to be a really good one. Yes, Lakers. We don't, I don't think we have any picks, but you know they're still doing their due diligence to see if you never know. You know, there's always some some gems that you can find from young athletes that go undrafted, and they've definitely been doing their homework. We've had a lot of workouts going on. I know you can't get too specific, and before we talk about the NBA Finals, but for the Lakers in the offseason, is there a main position of priority for them to try to acquire in the offseason, whether it's via a trade or a free agent or somebody who's not drafted? You know what? I think Rob and those guys, they do a great job, and now Darvin Ham's coming in as a new coach. I think the overall consensus is just we just want to try to complete our roster with, with some competitive players and uh, have some length some guys that can shoot and defend. And I don't think there's any one particular player position. I think they just want to try to try to surround LeBron, AD, and Russ with, with the best players that they can find uh, to complement the way we want to play. 
Phil Handy, assistant coach with the L.A. Lakers, joining us on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Okay, when you look at the finals, and I'm not sure how much you have watched. I know some NBA players and coaches don't want to watch if it's not their team in it. I'm going to ask you first about Draymond Green. He's been struggling for Golden State. If you were one of his coaches, what would you say to him or try to fix in his game in these finals? Man, I just want Draymond to be Draymond. I mean, he's Draymond is the – he is the definition of elite role player uh, in the NBA. He's really carved out that lane, and he's figured out a way to be very impactful on the game on both sides of the ball. And I think the best advice I would give Draymond, man, just just go be you. Go do what you do. He's always disruptive to the game on the defensive end. He's, he's always disruptive on the offensive end. Just bringing energy and, and playing, playing at a high level, just knowing his role. So I would just encourage him to, Hey, man, do what you've always done. What's gotten you successful to this point? You know, don't change it now. That's what we need on the team. And I just think, you know, sometimes you get into the finals and, you know, every game is different. You know, so Draymond's a great player, man. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And like I said, he's definitely carved out a role as elite role player. He'll make adjustments. He'll watch the film and figure out how he can impact the game in game four. He's not one of those guys who's going to sit back and, and, uh, and let the series get away from him. Which player or players have impressed you as far as what they've done in these finals or the playoffs overall that you might not have expected from them earlier on? You know, I was watching. Uh, I really like Tatum. I watched him throughout the playoffs, and he, and he really showed a lot of maturity in his game on both sides of the ball. You know, he, he took the challenge a lot in the Eastern Conference playoffs, just defending. Um, he played at a high level, so I was really impressed with just his growth. You know, Jalen Brown has is, is definitely stepped up into the moment. Uh, he's one of those guys, you know, those, those two guys are pretty fearless, man. So just watching watching those guys mature, you know, Boston's always kind of had a young nucleus, and for them to be able to stay together and, and reach the finals has been – it's really impressive, man. You don't, you don't really see too many teams stick together for that long, and I'm, I'm just, uh, just impressed to see their growth. And there was talk in January about some people suggesting they should trade one or both. Glad that they waited. So it should be fun the rest of the way. Phil, thanks again for joining us. I know a lot of Laker fans are hoping that the Lakers and you are back in the NBA Finals next year. I'm sure it's going to be a good opportunity for you guys. Thanks again for talking to basketball with us. Always, always a pleasure to be on. Thank you, guys. All right, thank you. Phil Handy, an assistant coach with the L.A. Lakers and uh, former University of Hawaii Really good player for Hawaii back in, I think, 93, 4, and 5, right around that era, and a great player. And we thank Mm -hmm. him for joining us on ESPN Honolulu. Okay, so Gary just had this idea. It was a great idea off the air. And and, and Gary says, anytime, does it have to be a home run or just a good play? Well, I'm a good play. Well, because we how, who defines a good play if we're not watching? I mean, Josh Rojas hit a home run yesterday. Good job, Josh. So I was just thinking about it yesterday. That'd be cool if when we could have a Hawaii player hit a home run. You know, Colton, Kurt Suzuki, who got hurt again and left the game yesterday. We got four players who are going to hit home runs right now. You know, it wouldn't be every day probably, but a good play might happen all show long, hopefully. So we need some kind of sounder. Like, uh, you know, on the, on the main line, they go, do-do-do-do-do-do-do, or whatever. Or if it's a bad play, go wah, 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 wah. <laughs> right? But so we need a good sounder, and maybe uh, the folks in uh, Animal Kingdom know 
what a good sounder it would have a thought on what a good th- sounder would be you can text us on the zephyr insurance text line 808-296-1420 you know gary says we'd have something local and i don't know a local sound that would be like a you know an attention getting sound i was thinking of a cowbell ding 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 so you can't do like a conch you can't be a like a conch shell no hawaii five though i think it's been used and done enough Oh, no. Well, that's a song. Well, I'm just maybe, maybe you the play beginning a few of a bars song. from Hawaii Five O. No, I'm just saying that shouldn't no. be used. But I just is there maybe one song that um, you know, a brother is song that maybe stands out with the first few bars that would be pretty cool. You would play part of a song as a sounder. I'm just throwing that out there. You, you, well, you're poohooing this without thinking it through. Yeah, I'm thinking it through that you wanted a sounder. <laughs> now you're saying let's play part of a song? Well, I'm just suggesting maybe something like that to keep it local. Let's play part of Somewhere Out There. What does that have to do with anything? You want a sounder. You want a drum shot. Well, you want a rim shot. Well, what is, well, if you have a Hawaii song with a Hawaii player, that's what it has to do with the, with the theme. So all of a sudden we're talking, and Keegan hits Somewhere Over the Rainbow for five seconds. Yeah. Eh. Yeah. Or maybe we you know in a slight pause that we maybe have. Yeah. you can do. You know what? When you're when you have your own show like Fans Voice, you can do that on Fans Voice. How about that? Boy, you were so happy during the break, and now you're showing your. I was colors. happy that you were thinking outside <laughs> the box, and yeah. then what you're actually thinking is uh, kind of yeah. lame. Okay, well, I'll think I'll think it a little bit more thoroughly, but I just thought that'd be kind of cool. But somebody might text in a good idea, like what yeah. sound that we should play. How about? When uh, somebody hits a home run, you have like a crack of a bat. And that'd be fine too. A hundred local, but pack, 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 like five times. Yeah, that'd be cool too. Okay, so who hit? A, did anyone hit a home run today? Not today, but it made me think of it when Josh Rojas hit his fourth home run of the season yesterday for Arizona. That's what made me think of right. it. So today, not we haven't had a home run. And, uh, Colton Wong must be hurt. He's been out of the lineup for three days in a row now. Kurt Suzuki got hurt yesterday. Had to leave the game early. Oh, really? Ooh, second, 38 years hit. old, when you get hurt, you, you, you heal. Oh, is that the one he got hit in the throat? That was a week and a half ago, I think, or a little over a week ago. About, I forget what the injury, but he got hit off a foul ball yesterday and had to leave the game again. So twice in about wow. a week and a little over a week. All right, somebody texted in again and said, stop bullying you again. That's the same I'm guy. just saying. I'm but, just um, saying. Yeah. It was a great idea until you started to expand on it. <laughs> Got to quit while I'm ahead, right? Uh, anyway. And we say congratulations to Jocelyn Alo and the Oklahoma Lady Sooners. Is that what they are, I guess? The yeah, Lady yeah. Sooners? Uh, softball champions of the world. They beat Texas today 10-5 to in game two. It's over. And uh, Jocelyn Alo, who uh, we've been saying for a while, the Babe Ruth of softball, the uh, the – steroidless Barry Bonds of softball, Jocelyn Alo. What a career she's had, huh? The coverage. 120 home runs? Yeah, I mean, she had two more yesterday. Didn't hit one today. I don't remember a time when she didn't hit a home run. Went one for three. Still amazing career season. And, you know, they had one of the best records of all time, 58-3 and three or 59-3 and three after today, Man. I believe. And they talked about other teams. A couple of teams had more wins, but they also had more losses. I think Arizona 15, 20 years ago. This Oklahoma team, and a lot of people saying maybe the best team in college sports history, regardless of sport, with what they've accomplished. Three losses wow. this year. 
amazing, amazing season and career. Best team in college sports history? There have been people you can suggesting take that, that. That would be that would be better than say a football team that went undefeated and won the national championship. I guess when you go and I got to get their record. I'm not sure if it's fifty something and three. Yeah, I think people are looking at it that way. Yes, and I I know it's a stretch to some. They're fifty-eight and three. Fifty-eight and three. Okay, well, <clears throat> that's a stretch, but that's incredibly impressive, and I know that's quite a compliment to be even mentioned. Uh, and I know people would debate an undefeated Alabama team or some of the others, but I, I think it's something that at least you should consider, not you, but other people. That's how dominant and great and talented they were. I think every batter in their lineup hits 300 or higher. So that's one person saying, like, you can't well, walk a, Jocelyn Alou yeah. because everybody behind her is hitting 300, too. Right. Right. If this was a case where she was on a bad team, she would not have the record that she has today because they wouldn't pitch to her. Just as in, in high school where they stopped pitching to her. And I heard um, Kelly Majum is now Kelly Elms. Hell, hell, um, yeah, I heard uh, her on the radio talking with Kanoa Leahy, and uh, she was saying that, um, you know, when they came and played at the University of Hawaii this year, the Rainbow Wahine Classic, Hawaii was pitching at her. They weren't, they weren't afraid of her. They actually went after her. And then she ended up getting the, uh, getting the record while she was in Hawaii, but at the same time, Hawaii was, I mean, you don't want to say you weren't afraid of her. I mean, you know what she can do. She's the best hitter ever in, in softball. But you went after her and you tried to get her. So, um, you know, it's kind of cool that she had the most unbelievable season at batting over 500. I mean, the team bat, the team batting average is like 460. Their ERA was .86. So it's like you're, you have the best defense. It's like being in the NBA and you have the number one defensive team and the number one offensive team by a mile. Right, That's right. how special this team was. But it was kind of cool, even though they beat Hawaii, um, you know, in uh, in six innings in one game and five in another, eleven to nothing and nine to nothing. That was cool that Patty Grasso scheduled it so that Jocelyn Allo could come back home uh, her senior year. I, I think that's just a one class right there. Somebody brought it up last night with all the mercy rule games in the regular season that Jocelyn missed the equivalent of basically eight full games worth of at-bats. And if she had those eight <laughs> games of official at-bats, you know those numbers wow. of home runs and RBIs, I think it was 85 RBIs as well, would have been uh, a lot higher. Uh, so, wow. yeah, unbelievable when you think of it that way. And it was pointed out yesterday. Right. It's, it's kind of like Colt Brennan when you mm-hmm. say, okay, look at all the touchdowns he threw. Well, look at all the fourth quarters he didn't play. Right, yeah, I was thinking that as well. There was a uh, at bat yesterday. I heard people bringing it up on a mainland show last night, where she the ball was thrown in the dirt. <clears throat> she lifts up her foot, her front foot, to avoid the pitch, and then lifts up her second foot to avoid getting hit by a pitch. Like, how many batters would be able to lift up both feet one by one to avoid getting hit? And part of it was she didn't want to get hit. She wanted to get the at bat and take her chances with the pitcher, but also to have that kind of vision where she could avoid well, the bounce twice. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing if you're going to get beamed and you kind of turn your shoulder into it, but if you if you get somebody's picking off your feet, you could get an injury. I think it's more of a natural, more of a natural reaction to avoid getting pelted in the foot with all those little tiny bones in your feet that can break. I think it's I think it's it's a, it's a smart move, and I think it's more natural to do something like that. But I'm looking at their schedule, and it's like almost it's like, okay. One, two, three, four, five. They've, 
almost every game they play is has been uh, a mercy rule game. Right. Not like half. The majority of their games are mercy rule games. I wonder what happened. Maybe Jocelyn was sick because they beat Tennessee, who was number 17 in the country at the time. They beat Tennessee 9-8, to eight, and it took 10 innings. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. But every look at all these games. They have like 10 games in a row that are mercy rule games. And then they'll beat somebody 3-1 to one, like Baylor. And then they mercy rule everybody else for the next 10. Boy, if you don't want to show up late to an Oklahoma softball game, you're going to show up, and you're going to show up after an hour, and then and you're going to show up in 45 minutes. And go, I'll, I'll catch the middle of the game. What's everyone in the parking lot for? What? It's over. They were saying fans for Oklahoma were leaving the game early yesterday in the fifth inning when it was 12 to one because they thought it was a mercy rule. They forgot, or they just realized the game's over anyway at 12 to one in the fifth inning, and they continue to leave. Amazing. Which leads us to our poll question. I know it's probably an easy answer, but the question on Twitter at Sports Animals is: What former Hawaii high school athlete had the best college career? Jocelyn Alo, Marcus Mariota. I put Derek Lowe in there, led his team to a Sweet 16 and two NCAAs, or other lists below. Right now, Jocelyn Alo has 68%, Marcus Mariota 27%, and the key when you say other lists below, which somebody did, you got to put somebody below. Uh, they didn't do that, and then Derek Lowe has not gotten a vote yet, but we have that poll up there for another hour or so if you want to vote. Yeah, I mean, Derek Lowe is great, uh, you know, part of the family here at ESPN Honolulu. But when you talk about Marcus Mariota, he was the best college football player that year because he won the Heisman Trophy. When actually the Heisman Trophy usually just goes to the quarterback of the number one team in the country. But that being said, he was considered the best player in football that year. Um, But Jocelyn Alo isn't the best player in softball this year. She's the best softball player ever. If you're talking about a hitter, you know, there's, you know, there's, you know, you, Jocelyn Alo is going to make people on the international scene forget somebody like Crystal Bustos. And that's a strong comment. That is a really strong comment. You know, you've had great players like Jenny Finch and some of these other players that went on to international greatness. And Jenny Finch was really good. Jenny Finch is probably one of the only, you know, a lot of people, it's, they're casual f- softball fans. Name me a softball player from an Olympic team. Someone, will, Jenny Finch's name will come up, partially because of the Hollywood looks, but at the same time, Jocelyn Alo, and, and Jocelyn Alo will come up. But Jenny Finch was was a really good pitcher. Jenny Finch was by no way the best pitcher in the history of college softball. Jocelyn Alo is the best hitter that that sport has ever seen. Starting from day one. Ah, it's exciting. And we're honored that she is from the state of Hawaii. I just think it was great for them to come back home once again and play in the Rainbow Wahine Classic. Right. <laughs> That'd be funny if uh, all of a sudden there's this huge uh, this huge surge on Rochester Vipers jerseys. <laughs> That's the team that Jocelyn Alo. Uh, there's a new softball league, brand new league, uh, called the PCF. Uh, is that it, right? Did I get PCF? No, WPF, Women's Professional Fast Pitch. Is that what it stands for? Yeah, 
Women's Professional Fast Pitch League, the WPF. Jocelyn Allo was the number one draft choice in their draft, and uh, she is headed to Rochester, New York. And uh, let's see if we have they have they have T-shirt. Maybe they have T-shirt jerseys, Gary. I like that. Yeah. Real anyway, congratulations, congratulations. You know, I guess you know you can make some money in professional softball. I know that. Um, oh gosh, I can't remember University of Hawaii pitcher's name. Kate. She went to Kamehameha. Kate Robinson. Kate Robinson. She played in one of those um, professional leagues. She did. I don't know which one. But Monica Abbott signed a six-year, one hundred. Uh, excuse me, a six-year, one million-dollar contract. Wow. So if Jocelyn Allo is everyone in the softball world, you know, around the United States is familiar with Jocelyn Allo. So Jocelyn Allo, um, I'm sure she has endorsement deals already or they're coming. Not NIL. I'm talking about real wow. endorsement deals. And so that, um, I mean, ones that pay her, you know, pretty good money. She can make some money for a little while as a professional softball player. When you talk about what the number one draft choice overall would demand, and we're not talking NFL or pros, you know, anything like that, but you can make good more. You make more than fifty thousand dollars a year as well. Make a living at. at it. Plus, you throw on the right. Plus, yeah, and how much expensive is it if you're going to live in Rochester, New York, or in the area, right? Right. Uh, probably can't be that expensive, but uh, you know, you're playing for the North Dakota Stallions. Well, you know. You can pay for your house pretty quickly over there. But uh, anyway, congratulations. Love love the story. All right. The big story today was really the PGA Tour coming out and suspending all 17 players that were on the PGA Tour that played in the first live golf tournament, LIV. And uh, it's uh, being held right outside of London. It began today. Charles Schwartz leads the after day one. But um, 10 of these guys who they have suspended have already resigned from the PGA Tour. So it's kind of silly. But basically, Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the, uh, of the PGA, is drawing a line in the sand. But I don't get, I don't get that he's never, has he ever, and call in or text in, you can text in at the Zephyr Insurance text line, has he ever come out and said why? Because, as Ian Poulter put it, you can play, you know, he's always played, you know, played here and there on the European tour, the Japan tour. He's played all over the world. PGA's never had a problem with it. Now, with the Saudi Arabian League, they're saying if you join, you're not playing in the PGA. You're going to get severely punished. I don't get it. I, I just wanted to hear why. I want to hear him say why. I don't know if he's given an exact quote, but I know it's been um, implied, if nothing else, and a lot of people have said because of who they associate with. When you're saying they play in leagues all around the world, why not this? I think that's an easy answer. They're murderers there. I don't know. I Yeah. The the, the leader, uh, Salman bin Laden or whatever his name is, that guy has been, you know, has been accused, you know, murdering the journalist in 2018 and having just a bad, uh, as ESPN put it, abysmal human rights record. I get it, but why all of a sudden would Jay Monahan? I don't, I don't get that from what he's saying, because he would have used that in all of his commentary that he put out today. 
he would have used that as a reason to shame these players. Instead, what he's getting at is, you guys are just going for the money. We gave you everything you had in life from the PGA Tour, and somebody gave you more money and you left. Somewhere in all of the memo that he put out or in speaking to the media, he's never mentioned because they're despicable human beings. He's never done that. Now, the USGA came out and basically said, I'm paraphrasing, these are despicable human beings, but they're going to play because our rules don't prevent them from playing in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. Open. So they get it, and they might change their rules. Who knows? Yeah. But right now, those players can play in all the in all of the majors. I don't know. It was said that this is going to split up golf. I'm not sure the live tour. Somebody like Colin Morikawa. Who knows? Maybe. I mean, if somebody offers you two hundred million dollars, you know, you don't know what people are going to think. Dustin Johnson it was like, "No way, I am leaving the PGA Tour." They waved two hundred million dollars in front of him himself, and I bet his new wife said. Uh, you want to think about that for a second? <laughs> um, you know, Phil Mickelson's on his way out. I'm not sure that he's going to make a ton of money playing on the the Champions Tour anyway. Right, right. Um, you know, Ian Poulter hasn't won in a long time. He's not a young guy. Louis Oosthuizen hasn't won lately. Kevin Na, you know, he won the Sony Open a couple of years ago. Graham McDowell, Martin Keimer, these are good golfers and they're well-known, but, you know... As you get older, too, maybe your priorities change a little bit. Where you're like, hey, you know what? I don't want to travel. If I've got kids, I don't want to travel, you know, 40 out of 52 weeks a year and being on the road. I don't like it. I'm going to go over here and make more money and play in eight tournaments. And on top of the appearance fee that I'm getting, on top of the Seven mil, eight million, nine million. How many figures? However many figures you're making, you can still win twenty million here, twenty there, fifty at the end of the year. There's all kinds of money to be made, and the best thing is, you still get to play golf. The only negative about the live tour is where the money's coming from. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, that that's it. But that's a big one. I mean, I don't think anybody in any walk of life, if you could make five times the amount of money and this is serious money as an example dustin johnson 125 oh it's more million. than five times for another guy a lot more than five times okay. for a lot of guys okay dustin johnson D- dustin johnson has earned 74 million dollars in his career from winnings all of a sudden you're go- you don't even have to win the rest of your life right and you got 200 million well i mentioned this i think re- recently but dustin johnson's 125 million is more than tiger woods has made in earnings on the course in his career and his life which is 121 million so i you, nobody should fault these guys i mean I, but when you realize who they're associating with i wonder if these golfers have maybe convinced themselves that the people they're dealing with directly aren't the ones who are directly involved with the murders i don't know if that's true or not um or oh, but they to, are no no but I think they, they are i know what the main guy is right the public fund is the guy that did the murdering yeah. of the of the yeah so they are but and Phil Mickelson got grilled today by the media I mean there was a lot of articles about Phil gets grilled and things like that and they were asking him specifically how he could how you could deal with this how do you how do you justify it and he just said you know, I mean, he just 
beat around the bush, basically. He didn't want to acknowledge it, but he didn't want to bash him. He said, I'm all for human rights. He said, I don't condone human rights violations. I don't know how else I can be any more clear. Again, I love the game of golf. I've seen the good that it's done, and I see the opportunity for Live Golf to do a lot of good for the world, and I'm excited to be part of the opportunity. It's a good quote, but I think some people are still – somebody asked him, what are you apologizing for? And, you know, are you apologizing for the murder or things that went on there? He, he, I'm not answering anything about that. Right, because he's gotten into so much trouble lately for some right. comments he made. And he said that. Comments that he made, also comments he made that he thought were going to be private. That guy who's writing the unauthorized biography goes out and, and lets the whole world know what he said. Yeah. And so that guy shows up at Phil Mickelson's press conference, and they knew he was coming. And Phil said, I don't want that guy in my press conference, which I guess you should be allowed to do if you want. And they kicked him out. That guy was at the press conference knowing that he would be kicked out. I can't remember his name. The guy that's writing the unauthorized biography. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay, okay. That guy, the reason he showed up is that he showed up so that he could document everybody on social media, hey, look, it's me. I'm getting kicked out by Phil. That's going to sell another million copies right there. Oh, what does this guy have against me? He's got something to hide. Look, he's kicking me out. Oh, but then again, um, what's the guy? Oh, gosh, what's his name? Uh, The shark, Greg Norman. I'm going to complain to Greg Norman. Greg Norman said he didn't know anything about it. Yet there he is in a photo of me being taken out, and he's in the background watching. Look at all this controversy I'm I'm causing. That guy's just that guy's a bull in a china shop. He's going in to just mess things up and make as much money as he can on this tour. It was kind of it was kind of a bummer part of the live tour and their um and their launch today. What's going to happen? What about Greg Norman? I don't think he looked too good by lying, saying he didn't hear anything about it when he was right there when it happened. Greg Nor. Right, but Greg Norman, who nobody's criticizing, if you're going to criticize these golfers for taking money, why you not criticize the face of the league, Greg Norman, who used to be a PGA golfer and won two majors himself? Why aren't you anybody complaining about him? He's poaching the golfers to the PGA, but nobody's got a problem with Greg Norman. They probably figure he'll choke somewhere in between and drop the ball. You know, but uh, the point is, nobody's grilling Greg Norman. Good point. Greg Norman's a great guy. Ooh, it's the shark. <laughs> He's just as guilty as everybody else. As far as guys like Phil Mickelson, besides the author of the book, I think a lot of people are going to try to get responses out of him. And there were a whole bunch today as well. I mean, it wasn't just that guy. And, I mean, they're going to keep on doing it because he, he doesn't, you know, he, I think he gave good answers today. Uh, but Who, Phil? Yeah, but because he tried to cover for himself without acknowledging one way or the other. Which, you know, well, he's, yeah, he, he, I'm trying to find a quote by the, yeah, he said, basically answered a question and he didn't want to go any further. He goes, I, I don't want to comment publicly on about that. The PGA, right. He want to talk and and he's that. smart. He shouldn't, yeah. he shouldn't, you know, it's but just he, like, yeah, I don't want to comment anymore. But he was asked another question. If he felt the good of the game, which he talked about can quote, make up for the killing of the American journalist, and Phil said, nobody here condones human vi- right violations, and nobody's trying to make up for anything. So, I mean, it was, it was an answer that probably That's didn't please a lot of people, but it's an interesting answer where... Why? 
Why well, does it? Why would it not please? Because you? he's not. He's not acknowledging that they did kill him and they did kill the journalist, and that what they're doing is no, going to business with them. Read what his quote is. Read what his quote he is. Said, again. Nobody here condones human right violations, and nobody's trying to make up for anything. It's kind of a vanilla answer. I don't think he really answered it, which is smart on him. I think it, what what is what he's saying is, yeah, they've done awful things in the future, but you know we're kind of looking forward. He's acknowledging that it happens. Nobody condones that. I, you're, see, the, the, what they're, they're trying to catch him. Yeah, yeah, they're doing yeah. the journalist thing and trying to catch him. They're trying to get clickbait. So it's like, oh, this is what Phil said. We got him again. And so he's just coming. What do you expect him to say? He can't give. He cannot. He can no longer give his true thoughts on things like he used to be and be outspoken. Yeah. Because it got him in a lot of trouble. And uh, just the, uh, you know, a lot of people just don't like Phil Mickelson because of it, even some of the golfers that he played with. But because he came out and said, well, he actually thought it was a private conversation, uh, but he came out and said, this is what I really think about the PGA Tour. Oh, you're suspended. Now he's like, I'm a bad person. I have to go off. And now he find you know what I think he said? He said, screw you, PGA. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting some, sitting here thinking to myself, my gosh, you know, the PGA did a lot for me, and he's come out and said that. But he also followed up with, and I think I did a lot for the PGA. And you cannot argue that. I, I, I would love to have somebody argue that Phil Mickelson had nothing to do with building the PGA. No. His rivalry with Tiger Woods is like Larry Bird and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, almost. Almost, yeah. I said. But it was up there because golf was pretty boring um you didn't have guys like jack nicholas and arnold palmer playing anymore except in some special abc wide world of sports skin <laughs> games you had you know and then all of a sudden here comes tiger woods oh and his rival is phil mickelson it was tiger versus phil lebron versus kobe it got interest talk and a lot more that phil mickelson brought to the pga tour so jay monahan has got to kind of remember that as well yeah instead of saying we, you achieved your dream of having a PGA Tour card. And if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't be the millionaire that you are today in all of that. And, and, and that's true. He wouldn't have, you know, had the money that he has today without the organization of the PGA Tour. But now what nobody's talking about, and it's been mentioned on this radio station a little bit. Oh, we got a guest coming up next. Is, and I'll leave it with this for now. The your your, your run of the mill players, guys like Dean Wilson when he used to play, or somebody like I believe David David he played in a couple of PGA events. Uh, he was more of a Japan tour guy. But your your journeymen who play on the PGA tour, if you don't make the cut, you don't get paid. And people have been complaining about that for a long time, and the PGA has turned a deaf ear. Well, you know what? We'll say bye-bye to Matt Jones and Brandon Grace and some of these other guys because they've been asking you about that for years, and you won't do a thing to help them. Bye-bye, and now you're going to suspend them? Well, they already quit. We'll be right back on ESPN Honolulu. Man, it's June 9th. Sports cannot be more interesting. Talking about the Live Tour, all these things going on. And now the Cleveland Browns. He must be having a ball. 
Dave DiNatale, back on the show from WKYC-TV in Cleveland. Aloha, <laughs> Dave. Thanks for coming on. Oh, aloha, my friends. It, it, it's always a pleasure. I was thinking about this. I think I've been coming on this show for around, what, eight or nine years since, like, the Johnny Manziel era, maybe even a bit <laughs> before that. And I wow. mean, there's never a dull moment for, for Cleveland Browns fans. I'd much rather I'll, – I'll say this. I'd much rather come on the show talking about a Cleveland Cavaliers championship or a Cleveland Indians, as, as they were at the time, a <laughs> uh, trip to the World uh-huh. Series. But I'm always happy to come on with my Ohana. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice, nice. Well, the Browns are in the news. And I guess, you know, there's so many ways of looking at it, Dave. But I'm going to start with this, with what came out of the New York Times a couple of days ago about uh, the 66 visits to uh, massage therapists. Did the Cleveland Browns know about that, or should they have known about that? Well, I don't know. I, let, me, let, me, let me start the first part. Do I think they knew about number 24? No, I don't. Or or. or the sixty, the sixty-six number. No, I don't. I think this took a lot of people by surprise. I really do, and that's why all of a sudden, um, whereas I think with the twenty-third accuser last week, it was like, oh, okay. I think this one really took a lot of people by surprise. Uh, and then with Jenny Brentis's reporting in the New York Times, um, I, I, I don't think the Browns were ready for this, and now all of a sudden, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this. There, there's starting to be some talk about. How can the Browns get out of this contract and get out of this situation where there hasn't, even after the HBO special, there hadn't been those discussions. And I started to get the feeling this week we're there. They should have known about this. And it was one of the reasons why I know. I mean, I I wrote a column after that. I I was not for this move by the Browns because you just felt like there there would be more layers to come out, that this wasn't going to be – all we would know about this, and the, the, this has been three months now since the Browns made the deal, the deal with the Texans, and it just feels like, and I'm sure you guys covering this out in Hawaii, it's like every week there's something new to this story, and it, it's until we get the NFL uh, results here of what, the, what their investigation is and, and what the punishment would be for Watson, it's going to continue to hang a cloud over the Browns. See, I, I mentioned this the other day just wondering aloud is if he'll ever be wearing a Cleveland Browns uniform in a regular season game. I just wonder how the Browns would get out of it. I mean, I know they guaranteed this contract. I'm sure there are clauses in there. There's a couple of ways of looking at that. I guess one way is if the Browns release him, I think his career would be over in the NFL. I mean, I don't know if anybody would take a chance because they're going to have reasons why that will be out there. Maybe even more news will come out. But I wonder legally what their options are as well. Yeah, so let me let me preface this by saying I'm not a lawyer, nor do I play one on television <laughs> or uh, on radio. But but let me throw a couple of scenarios out at you guys. I, one thing off of Jenny Brentis's reporting that that I know kind of knocked me down was apparently the Houston Texans security chief, a former Secret Service agent, from what I understand. Uh, provided Deshaun Watson with non-disclosure agreements that he could forgive to women. Right. Now, that would lead one to believe that they had some knowledge that something was going on, and that, you know, I wonder if they disclosed that to the Browns. Now, you know, could the Browns eventually go to an arbitrator and say, hey, wait a minute, we didn't know this. You know, we want out of this trade. 
you know, that that's one scenario. Seems far fetched, but that's one scenario. And then the other, which I think is, I, I hope this doesn't happen, but you know, from a from a standpoint, um, it, it, whether it's the twenty fourth accuser or if another woman um, comes forward and provides the evidence that a, a go to the district attorney in Houston or in a surrounding county, and that they would you know, take to a grand jury and say, "Will you indict?" Now, initially on the twenty two cases or whatever, they had they voted not to. Uh, a no bill for, for Watson, there would not be an indictment. And I think in those cases, you know, anything, you know, Deshaun Watson's contract with the Browns was protected from, from that. But I think anything potentially criminal that could come from this point on, then all of a sudden I think it gives the Browns some latitude to void that contract for whatever clause, you know, you, you would, you would put in there. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Gary. I, I, I think there is a possibility. I don't know how, I, I won't give you a percentage, but there's a possibility Deshaun Watson could never take a, da- a snap for the Cleveland Browns. And that we were talking about it in our newsroom this week too. Yeah, that's what I think I've been thinking about. I'm sure others as well. You can follow Dave Nina, Dina Talley on Twitter at Dino Cleveland as he joins us on ESPN Honolulu talking Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson. Is, is there a, t- a sense that you or the Browns have as far as when the NFL might make a decision? Will it be before training camp? And is there a sense? I mean, some people might have thought six games when he was found not guilty in the first court case. But now I'm wondering, and people are suggesting maybe a full season. Uh, where are you on that? What have you heard, if anything? Uh, I, I, it's funny. I had heard initially that they might have had a ruling uh, on a punishment uh, by Memorial Day. Now, obviously, we've passed that threshold and then some. Uh, I do think it's going to come before training camp, and I do think it's going to be at least half of a season. I think, and, and again, this is you know, based on some conversations I've had with people that I trust, but not you know, um, anything more than that, just having those conversations, I don't think it's going to be a small punishment. I, I think um, the HBO special, uh, the two latest uh, women that have come forward in the civil case, uh, and the New York Times article, um, it, it's becoming an avalanche. And um, I think it's at least half of a season. But uh, I, I can certainly see a scenario where, you might see something like what happened in baseball with Trevor Bauer, where it could be an indefinite suspension or suspension of a year or more. You know, I was wondering about this possible scenario, because that's one of the reasons, obviously, why they're keeping Baker Mayfield, at least for now. Let's say Deshaun Watson gets eight, nine games, ten, somewhere in there, and Baker Mayfield is like Patrick Mahomes in those eight games and just lights the league on fire, leads them to a six and two record, something like that. What do you think the Browns would do then if Baker Mayfield reaches his potential and they got the Sean Watson waiting to come off a suspension? Oh, that you talk about that would be the ultimate soap opera. But this week, uh, the Browns basically told Baker Mayfield, "You don't need to come to minicamp. Don't bother coming. Don't bother coming. Thanks, but no thanks. Stay away." So they've already, even with everything that's been going on with Watson. Um, they more or less, even though they're still paying Baker Mayfield, they've told Baker Mayfield, we don't want you to come to, to minicamp. So at this point, the divorce isn't final, but it's pretty much the divorce papers are being drawn out. And I'll tell you this, I, I still think Baker Mayfield, I don't think he's 
an elite quarterback, but I, I do think in the right situation, and I thought that situation, honestly, was Cleveland before last season, but I think in the right situation, he could be a very productive NFL quarterback, but uh, that's not going to be in Cleveland. The Browns have kind of made their bed with this, and uh, it, it's going to have to be the Jacoby Brissett, Josh Dobbs uh, train uh, if, if this thing with Watson uh, materializes as a long suspension. Well, if that's the case, the Cleveland fans better hope for the uh, Guardians or the Cavs to really have some success in the near future because I don't think the Browns are going to have success with Brissett or Josh Dobbs. No, no, I don't, I don't either. I mean, they're, as good as their running game is, and, and they've upgraded at a lot of positions, uh, in, in the AFC North, when you've got to play uh, the Bengals twice a year, the Ravens twice a year, the Steelers twice a year, um, you've got to be able to put points on the board with your quarterback and you know if the Browns without a top-level quarterback uh, their offense will not be good enough uh, for them to be successful. Dave it's been too long since we've had you on the show we'll have to do it again I'm sure there'll be more news over the upcoming weeks or so and uh, hopefully we can get together and talk about uh, our trips to Italy in the near future as well. Yeah, All I right. would love that, Gary. Thank, yeah, thank you guys both. It, it's always a pleasure. And uh, uh, mahalo and aloha. All right, Dave. Thank you so All much. All right. Thank you. Dave DiNatale there from WKYC-TV in Cleveland. Ah, and he worked in the Ohana into the conversation. Very good. Very good. Uh, but, yeah, it is a really, really interesting time in sports, and it just keeps getting better. And we're just in early June. Yeah, I know. It won't be a boring summer, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, it's the Sports Animals celebrating. How many years have we been on the air? We're in our 17th What did you say year. the other day? 17 years. 17th year, yeah. 17 years on the radio, and one of these days we'll get it right. <laughs> I'm looking at um, Josh Pacheco is on this morning for Bobby Curran, and he'll be on again tomorrow morning at um, 6. But when I came in, I came in the studio for a little while, and um, I was talking with Josh, and he said, boy, that we were – we we're talking about all the kind of uh, quirky things about the Live Golf Tour. So if you've seen the if you've seen the YouTube broadcast and go to YouTube, you can check it out. You know how they have kind of a leaderboard? Well, they have this thing on the side that has all of the golfers and where they are. So Charles Schwartzel uh, is in position number one, and he's at minus five, and uh, you know the guys after that. Then they have this funny little logo next to them, and you're like, why is there a logo? It says, you know, if it was a PGA broadcast, they would have an American flag or the Japanese flag for Hideki or something like that. But these are, and I figured it out, okay, these are the teams these guys are on. Oh. But what are their their teams called? Like there's this fancy, it looks like a snake next to Charles Schwartzel, Henny Duplessis, and Brandon Grace. By the way, three guys in the top five, their team is, you know, winning. And I don't know. i got to find out what the team names are. But it shows what team they're on. But on the actual leaderboard on the television broadcast, it has, like, three letters. Like, their first initial and then two letters of their last name. Now, if I see that, I can figure out that, uh, you know, who Phil Mickelson is and stuff like that. But, you know, somebody named Sam Horsfield, I don't recall remembering Sam. How am I going to know who these guys are? 
take some time and write out their names. There's yeah. enough room on the screen. I thought it was really kind of awkward. Also, their slogan on the air is don't blink. <laughs> you know, don't blink to me is something if you're watching, uh, you know, uh, Conor McGregor fight Max, Holly, <laughs> Holly, Max Holloway. Hey, hey, don't blink. Anything could happen. You know what I mean? Don't right. don't go to the bathroom. Don't blink. This is golf, where it takes an agonizing amount of time for some guys to just line up their putts. You know what? You've got plenty of time to blink. <laughs> and then, remember the the old, I think it was the old Sports Center logo, when they started with a young Chris Berman in 1985 or whatever it was, and it was just really really. It, the Live Golf logo looks like something that you would see on the game show network. That's what their logo looks like. I think they gotta go back to they gotta go back and kind of refigure some of these things out. I mean, I don't want to be making too much fun of it, but even their leaderboard, the golf tournament was going on in full force today. Yet if you go to livegolf.com, they didn't have a leaderboard. Now, today at 5.44 p.m. Hawaiian, we've got a leaderboard finally put up on their website. There's some things that they need to catch up on when it comes to uh, presenting their sport. Now, the one thing I will say that's positive about the Live Golf Tournament is on their website, they got a very cool slogan that I didn't see on TV. And I only watched for a couple of minutes, so it might have been on there. It is golf, but louder. Live golf. It's golf, but louder. Live golf where we exist to supercharge the game of golf. We'll see if that actually happens. But anyway, I thought that was cute. Well, I know you mentioned earlier Jerry Foltz is the color commentator for these broadcasts, and somebody named Arlo White, who's done the Premier League for before, is the play Right. He's a soccer broadcaster. He's yeah. a soccer broadcaster doing golf. <laughs> but we'll let anyway, get Jerry on I don't know. We can talk about some of the TV aspects. Yeah, speaking of Dr. Charles Arakaki, remember, June is Men's Health Month. Make sure you go get a checkup. Take care of those things that you're putting off. I was thinking about the Live Tour. You know what the Live Tour needs? Live Tour needs John Daly. And John Daly needs the Live Tour. He wouldn't get cut. That's one thing. Well, I mean, he's doing he's doing okay on the uh, Champions Tour right now. I don't know if he would contend, but I'd love to see John Daly. And John Daly would love to get $100 million to, sure, to play. Is there no smoking to uh, go and, over there with that tour? No, I think smoking and drinking of diet sodas is uh, encouraged. <laughs> encouraged. And, uh, you know, whiskey and beer and uh, everything else, I guess. But anyway, I, I think that would make the Live Tour fun. Hey, I saw this, The um, you know, the Denver Broncos are being sold for more money than any other sports uh, team, like, ever, right? Oh, I yeah. guess it's a record for North American sports franchises. $4.65 billion. It's the Walton Penner Group. And so they've, there's a, the, you hear the name Walton, right? I think it's by marriage or whatever, related to the Walmart, the Crockies right, right. and Walmart, right? Yeah. yeah. So this group is going to bring in, they say, uh, Peyton Manning 
and he'll be in some kind of maybe, well, they're trying to get him, in some kind of advisory role. I don't know what that means. Um, And then it could lead to an ownership stake for Peyton Manning. And I'm thinking if I'm Peyton Manning and you say, give me a part, oh, you give me 1% of the Broncos, I say, you know what, I'll do it if you give me 1% of Walmart. I'll do it for 1% of Walmart. That's that's the deal. Can you give me 1% of Walmart? And every time I go in there, I can drive one of those scooters. I don't have to walk. That would be my deal. Could have been a package But then again, think of – Right, but think about this. Okay, so Peyton Manning's going to be in the building, but so is jo- is John Elway going to still be there? Will Peyton Manning be advising John Elway? Yeah. I mean, they both have Super Bowls for the team. They're both in the Hall of Fame. I wonder if they would be somehow J of each other. I'm not sure. I, I wonder who has the nicer office, John Elway or Peyton Manning. One's got to wonder these kinds of things. Might depend on the title. I mean, if you're an advisor, you probably don't deserve as nice an office as if you're a VP, as an example. Hmm. So maybe that's how they determine then it. Again, yeah, but then again, it's Peyton, you know, yeah. Elway, Elway has been horrible. Uh, yeah. At, uh, you know, his job was to get them a quarterback, and he never did. And right. now he's stepped down, so to speak, and he's in some kind of advisory role for the general manager. So now this right. is a new group of people. Do they get rid of uh, John Elway? I don't think you can do that. You can't. You can't get rid of a guy like that. But maybe you change his position or something like that. Yeah. But the fans anyway. love both of those guys too much. It's a win-win if you keep them both somehow and keep them happy and paid and that the fans enjoy that part of it. Yeah. And, you know, give Floyd Little a job or something. I don't know <laughs> if he's with us anymore, Floyd Little. Not sure. But I'm trying to think of – I'm trying to think of uh, – give uh, Winder. Uh, no, I'm thinking. I was thinking more yeah. of um, uh, uh, what's his name, the kicker from Hawaii, Jason, Jason Elam. Elam yeah. I'm thinking Jason Elam. Although Jason Elam, from what I understand, does really, really well for himself now with his business. He could fly the team jet around. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I saw June Jay- June Jones' name in the um, in the national news today because Greg Williams, remember the <laughs> Bounty Gate guy for New yeah. Orleans. Greg Williams is going to be an assistant coach for, I don't know, one of these teams. And then it says um, they did announce that because uh, now they're mentioning some of the, they're mentioning and getting word out about the offensive and defensive coordinators and seven offense. They've seven offensive and seven defensive coordinators uh, have been hired. I guess they need a couple more for their eight teams, but they did mention Two of the offensive coordinators, June Jones and Jonathan Hayes, were XFL coaches, head coaches, during the 2020 season. And so uh, other notable names, uh, NFL assistant Ron Zook, remember him? Yeah. From Florida. I know Bruce right. Gradkowski. Uh, let's see, NFL coordinator Brian Stewart and Hayes' brother Jay. Anyway, it's kind of cool that they mentioned June Jones as the first guy when they're talking about these uh, it is. Uh, coordinators. I don't want Greg Williams on my team. Remember his last stint with the Jets when he let up the touchdown at the end to the Niners because he wasn't getting along with the head coach, and he just called a stupid play, cost him a game. I mean, he just had too many uh, X marks on his resume. I wouldn't want him on my team. 
Wow. Okay. Or too many red flags. I think red is flag the term you were looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. He just uh, X marks were a good thing. He checks all the boxes. Anyway, yeah. that's all the time we have for today. Tomorrow, NBA Finals game number four. Yes. Is four. going to be at coverage starts at two o'clock here on ESPN Honolulu.